Listen, we have two more weeks in the book of Colossians. Have, we have literally been going through the entire book of Colossians since October. Um, I say it every week, but I think it's important to re-announce for some that may not understand what that means when we say we're going through a book. We, we really hit every single verse and hit every line and uh, try to understand what it is that the Lord uh, is saying to us through what he's already said to his work. The book of Colossians is a, a great place for us to expand our view of Christ. Some of you may have been believers for a long time, uh, but it's something when we get to go through a book and see places like Colossians 1 where it says that in Christ all things hold together. We get to dive into what that, what that means and how that applies to, uh, to our lives. And so we've been going through it. We are two weeks left. We're finally in chapter 4. Uh, we'll do 2 through 6 today, and then uh, the rest of it, we'll do 7 through 18 Next week, next week is, is final greetings and some charges that, uh, that Paul will give to the church. But this week, we get to, it's another practical lesson uh, that I like to dig into. Uh, again, so starting next month, we'll move into a series on the church. Please drop those questions that you may have. Drop them off. Where, where are we dropping those off at? Hospitality. Somewhere around over here, you'll see hospitality. Please drop off those questions. Anything you have, nothing's off the table. I'm not saying everything's going to get worked into the series, but nothing's off the table. If there's 10 people asking, how does this work with the church? We'd love to address that through the series. And so uh, please ask, ask those questions. All right, Colossians chapter 2. I mean chapter 4. Colossians 4. Verse number 2 says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mysteries of Christ on the account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse number five, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of, of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each Person. I'd like to preach from the topic entitled Talking and Walking. Talking and Walking. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, this morning we gather around your word to draw strength, to draw encouragement. Maybe uh, some of us have come in this morning and we are a little beat up. This morning we pray that you would encourage our hearts. Uh, we, we also pray that you would, you would, I mean, get at us. Pray that you would um, work on the areas that are undone in our lives. All of us in here have some level of dysfunction. None of us uh, can go through every single sermon and always say amen. At some point, Lord, we have to say, ouch. We have to say that this hit me. And I pray that uh, those, those that are in here today, uh, maybe this is that sermon, maybe not. Maybe, maybe this is an encouragement for them. And I, I just pray that you would, uh, you would let your word bear its full weight on us this morning. We gather our, our lives around this word. We don't um, treat this book as a textbook. We don't treat, to, treat this as just some historical facts, although it is. It's authoritative. It is God-breathed. This is the word that you wanted to speak to us, and so we pray that we would submit our lives to it today. Speak to us. Help us to make sure that Jesus is glorified. May he be brought out of the text today. In Christ's name, we give complete glory and honor. Amen. Talking and walking, talking and walking. Neil deGrasse Tyson, he's a science communicator. Anybody know that name? Few, few people. He's a science communicator. He's actually here from New York. Um, he, he talks about how there are no illiterate children. 
but there's only illiterate adults. Let me explain what he meant by that. He goes on to say that children are brought up, and I don't agree with everything he says, but I think this one is true. Um, he talks about how children are brought up and they're curious, right? They're trying to figure out how this works with that. They're sticking their fingers in the socket. They're just curious on how life works. And so they're born curious, but what do we do? We spend the first 12 months of their life teaching them how to walk and teaching them how to talk. The rest of their life, we teach them how to shut up and sit down. The rest of their life, that's, that's the rest of their life. In fact, uh, I, I can vouch for this, this comment that uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson made. Being a parent of two kids, I remember when my boys first started talking. You know, they, they're mama's boys, so they said mommy first, and then they said, uh, and then they said daddy. But, I mean, I remember the first time they walked. We tried to get my oldest son, we tried to get him to walk for months and could not get him to walk. And, uh, and then we took him to the daycare. My wife goes to pick him up, and then he runs to her. And she calls me like, oh, my gosh, he ran. We spent that night, one sitting across the room. You know how we do. The other sit across the room, and we push him, and we let him walk. <laughs> You know, sometimes they fall and we're like, oh, it's okay. Get up. Let's do it again. And we just keep going back and forth. We spent the entire night doing that. Same thing with my my youngest son when he first started walking. We celebrated those moments, celebrated them. But now walking to the bathroom this morning, my youngest son walking past me to the bathroom. I'm not celebrating that he's walking anymore. I'm not calling my mom saying, Mom, he walked this morning. I'm not calling my mother-in-law saying, my oldest said daddy today. In fact, I'm saying, stop calling my name. <laughs> Sit down somewhere. And so we don't celebrate those moments like we used to celebrate those moments. But Paul introduces it. It's countercultural in Christianity. We always celebrate the way we walk in Christianity. Always celebrate the way we talk. No one celebrates an infant Christian and then doesn't celebrate them as they start to mature. But we spend our life, the, the Christian life is spent celebrating moments where we are walking in Jesus and we're talking about the gospel. That is what our Christian lives should be uh, centered around. In fact, if a, when you become a believer, see, and let me just put this on the table early. None of us in here believe Jesus and did not walk differently. None of us believe Jesus and did not talk differently. Nobody can meet Jesus and he not impact your life to the point where you complete the things that you used to like, you no longer like the things that you didn't like before you now like because Jesus comes in and he completely changes how we walk and completely changes how we talk. But that may take time. So maybe you're in here and you're like, well, I've trusted Jesus, but I'm, I'm, I feel the same. I still do the same things. And it may, it's called spiritual growth. No one's born uh, an, an adult, but there are stages to our spiritual, our spiritual walk as well. If somebody moved up here from down south, I mean deep down, like Alabama, and moved to New York, we would instantly be able to pick up their accent. Instantly. But over time, what happens? They start to lose that accent and start to have the accent of those that are around them. That's why it's important for us to be in community as well, because our accents start to change. And so Paul introduces us this morning to this thought. How you walk is extremely important. How you talk is extremely important. And so Paul gets at it today. Let's first deal with how we talk in the text. Look at what he says in verse number two. He says, continue steadfastly. In prayer, the first step in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual communication is not communicating with one another, but it's communicating with God. 
When it comes to talking, that is the first step to our communication. At the very heart of our communication must be a devotion to prayer. If we're honest in here, we lack consistency in prayer. We may pray one time, we may pray every now and then, or we may pray when we get in trouble. But the truth is, as a believer, the, the, the importance of prayer is everything. Spiritual growth depends on you communicating with the Lord. And here's the truth of the matter. See, the old mothers of, of, of I used to grow up in, a, in an African-American church, and we used to have mothers in our church. And the mothers would say, if you know the worth of prayer, anybody ever heard that? If you heard the worth of prayer, pray for me. I, I would argue that I think that people don't pray, not necessarily because they don't know the worth of prayer, but they don't know who they're praying to. Like, we're praying to a God that literally flung the stars in the sky, tells the sun to burn at a certain temperature, keeps the earth away from the sun, at it, knows every molecule. The scriptures tell us that he knows the number of hairs on your head. Right now, that, that doesn't mean that he knows the number of hair when you were born, but literally this morning when you plucked out one of the hairs, he said, well, there goes hair 19,500. He knows your hair at all times. That's who we're praying to, a God that created heaven and the earth. Let me get a little bit more practical. The God that created and made you, that is who we get the privilege of praying for. And so Paul doesn't just deal with the fact that we need to pray, but he also deals with the consistency and the frequency in which we should pray. Paul doesn't just say in this verse, go pray. Look at what he says. Continue steadfastly in prayer. First Thessalonians 5.17 talks about this as well, right? Pray without ceasing. Does that mean that I should go through life and do nothing but pray? No, what that means is I should go through life and do nothing without prayer. Christianity is the only religion that we lack consistency. I was getting my hair cut one time at a, at a Muslim barbershop, and uh, at, at, it was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. All of the barbers went on break. I mean, I had half a shape up. This lady left my haircut, went in the back because they had to pray. I was at a Thai restaurant as well. And in the middle of us eating, all of the waiters just stopped, pull out mats, drop to the floor, and start praying. But in Christianity, we go to the doctor and don't pray. We make decisions. How do we make decisions in life without prayer? Like we make decisions. Heavy, I'm not talking what street should I drive down. I'm talking what college should I go to? Where should I do life? Who should I marry? We make these decisions and don't pray. Paul says, continue steadfastly in it. Don't, that means don't ever get too far away from a prayer. There's really two types of prayer uh, when you look through the scriptures, there's a prayer where there's an in-depth prayer. If you look at Nehemiah 1, Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah was broken. He heard the state of the condition of Jerusalem, the wall in Jerusalem. What does he do? The Bible says day and night he prays. So that's, that's one type of prayer. Chapter 2, you see him before the king, and the king says, why the sad face? What can I do, to, do for you? Before he answers the king, the Bible says he prayed. Does that mean that he dropped down and prayed? No, that means it was a quick prayer. And so our lives should be, should be centered around time in prayer, but also should be centered around sporadic prayers throughout the day. Not reactionary prayers. Not prayers when something goes wrong, oh, let me pray. We treat Jesus like he's a genie in the bottle. I'm going to bring him out because I need him right now. But when I don't need him, he can just go back into the, into the bottle. No, pray continually is what Paul says. 
So Paul shows us how important it is to pray. And, and let me just tell you, God is not, he is not bothered by your persistence in prayer. I now see as a human, my father, I mean, my, my kids, as, as a father, my kids will come to me and say, Daddy, can you do this? Daddy, can you do this? Daddy, can you do this? And the overwhelming consistency, persistency of their prayer breeds anger in me. I get tired of that. I'm overwhelmed by it. God's not overwhelmed. He's not tired. In fact, when he hears you coming to him over and over again, he's like, there's my child. There he is again. We're the only ones that get annoyed with that. The, the crazy part about this is how you know God is sovereign. Because all of us in this room could pray right now about different situations that are going on in our lives. And God's not up there going, oh, my God, somebody has to do my calendar. I don't, I don't know what to do. He knows exactly how to meet each and every one of us in here. Pray continuously is what Paul tells us to do. Don't let a day. We go days without praying. Some of us don't pray until Sunday, but Paul is serious about, listen, pray. But I, I love what Paul does. Paul begins his prayer not by a petition, but by thanksgiving. Look at what it says. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Notice Paul didn't ask for anything yet. No petition is in Paul's prayer. Paul right here is just concerned about giving thanks to God. When I got up this morning at 6 o'clock and was walking outside, it wasn't petitions. I just needed to tell God I'm, I'm thankful. What breeds thankfulness is when we reflect, like I said in the beginning, when we reflect on how faithful he's been. Has he not been good to us? If he's been good to you, the first part of your prayer should not be asking for anything. See, that's our problem. We jump into prayer and we start asking. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need you to do this. Lord, I need this. And, and I'm not saying don't take your problems to the Lord. I'm saying can we sit and thank Thanksgiving for a while? Can we just sit in a heart of gratitude? Some of us should not even, there should be a prayer that you pray that you haven't asked for anything, but you spent the entire time thanking God. We should have those type of prayers. I, my wife has, has really helped me with journaling. I lacked discipline in journaling for a long time. And, and so she showed me how to, how to journal a few years ago. And so I've been tracking my prayers through a journal. It's just, it help, it's good spiritually for me. So each day, a couple times a day, I'll write into a journal, just some thoughts and some prayers and be able to reflect, look back about how he's answered prayers, how he hasn't answer, answered prayers, which, by the way, every prayer that he answered, that doesn't mean, every prayer that he doesn't answer, that doesn't mean he doesn't hear it. And that doesn't mean it wasn't a blessing. Sometimes, see, the blessing in prayer is not that God answers everything. The blessing in prayer is that he heard it. Can I tell you why that's a blessing? Do you realize that we, as enemies of God, if we're not connected with Jesus, do you realize that there's a disconnect between a sinful man and a holy God? There's a disconnect. But the cross, each time you pray, what you're really doing is looking back at the cross because the cross has made it possible for you to communicate with that God. You can't communicate with God outside of Jesus Christ. You can't do it. Why? Because there's no sin can be in God's presence. And if that is true, outside of us trusting Jesus, we're sinful people. And I'm not saying you're sinful because you sin. I'm saying you're sinful because it's a part of your nature. It's a part of who you are. It's the DNA. It's like if I took a, a jug up here of water and I dip some black dye in it, you can't separate the clean water from the black dye. That's what it is in our, in our lives. 
We are sinful people, but just the fact that we can pray to a holy God is evidence that the cross worked, that the cross was able to work. And so Paul shows us, he says, man, sit in Thanksgiving, man. Don't, don't run to petition too quickly. But some of us just need to, need to sit in that. And so Paul now goes on. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mysteries of Christ on account of which I am, is in, in, of which I am in prison. This is, this is key right here. The reason that this is key is because don't run past the fact that Paul is in prison right now. Like if I'm if I have an opportunity, I'm in prison and I have an opportunity to write a write a letter to people that I'm soliciting their prayers because he just asked them to pray. So he's soliciting their prayers. If I'm doing that, my first prayer that I'm going to ask for is to get out of jail. That's the first prayer I'm asking for. Or if I'm not asking for that, at least I'm going to ask Please make this, this jail cell comfortable because the Roman jail cells is not like Americanized j- jail cells. It's not like Paul had a toilet with two beds, you know, and guards coming in and out bringing food. That's not how it was. He was chained to a cold wall with a bunch of other people all in the same room. See, that's what Paul was. But Paul does not say, please pray that I get out of jail. He says, no, pray for open door with the word. Even in the midst of being in prison, Paul does not think about his personal circumstance. In the midst of being in prison, Paul thinks about the gospel being out. Is that not, does that not like, impact the way we pray? Think about how selfish our prayers are. Think about how self-absorbed, Lord, it's about me. Like We don't intercede for anybody. We don't pray for another person. In fact, we'll say to them, hey, I'm going to pray for that situation and go away and never pray for it. But yet Paul, in the midst of being in a Roman jail cell, decides not to pray for his own personal circumstances, but decides to pray that an open door would be made for him for the word. See, Paul is he what what makes Paul. If you don't like Paul, if you're in that time and you were a Paul hater, you just don't like Paul. See, Paul is the type of person that will get on your nerves. Let me tell you why, because Paul, you can say, man, let's kill him. What does he say to die is gain? He, we could say, man, let's let him live. What does he say? To live is Christ. We could say, let's throw him in jail. We can't kill him. We can't let him live. Just throw him in jail. What happens? The whole jail cell gets saved, including the guards. See, that's the important. See, that's the power in Paul's ministry is that he was so selfless. It was all about Christ. What does is, what is Colossians chapter 2 say? Him we proclaim. And so Paul was passionate about praying, but Paul was even more passionate about seeing the word of Christ be out. And this also says something important to me. Those of you who are aspiring to uh, be in ministry, or maybe you're just passionate about evangelism, that doesn't mean that all of us should be evangelizing. If we know Jesus, everybody should. But if you're, you may have that certain passion or that gift to be able to talk to somebody about the gospel. I love something that Paul does here. Paul realizes that his His passion in ministry and really the fuel for his ministry doesn't start with him exegeting the text. He didn't do any work in the word yet. What does he do? He prays before he does anything. See, half of my time when I do sermon prep throughout the week, half of my time is is in the word. The other half is just praying. I got to pray for my heart. I got to pray for your heart. I got to pray how we receive 
the word. That is the importance of ministry. Not only that, but how often do we pray for the word? Like how my, my father sits in, uh, in the little room with me in the morning, on Sunday mornings when I'm trying to, trying to figure out, you know, just get my heart right before I get before anybody and open this word. Um, my, my father sits with me and at the end of every single time we, he gets up, he's like, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. How, like how important is it for us to pray for the word? How many of us come in here, sit down and say, Lord, speak to us today. I don't care who's preaching. May the gospel be clear today. Like notice that Paul says that too. Paul says, not just for open door for the word, but in verse four, he says that I may make it clear. He, he, he prays for the content of what he talks about, the gospel message. When it says mysteries of Christ, that's what it's talking about. Many commentators will say that this is shorthand for the gospel. When Paul says, pray for open door for the mysteries of Christ, it's about the gospel. What is the gospel? I hear that all the time. You sound like a, like a turkey, gospel, gospel, gospel. Like, what is the gospel message? The gospel is that we are sinful, that we cannot. I mean, I already said that. Everybody in this room, I joke around every time, but I say it from the babies in that room. Like, you're born that way. It's not something that fractured later on when you got older and you sinned and then the rest of your life was patterned after sin. No, you were. it was over before it started. The moment you were born, before you even knew how to sin, you were a sinner. This is why we don't teach kids how to bite. You don't teach kids how to pull the toy and say, mine. We don't teach kids how to hit. I mean, they'll hit their own mother, their own father. I mean, what comes after that is, is a problem for them. <laughs> but they'll, they'll hit their own family members. Why? Because it's internally in us. And so the gospel is we're sinful. God is not. He dwells in unapproachable light is what the Old Testament tells us. No sin can be in his presence. Absolutely no sin. Read Isaiah 6. I don't have time to deal with it this morning. You want to see the holiness of God? Read Isaiah 6, the first few verses where it talks about these angels that have six wings and two of them, they're flying. And what are they saying when they're flying? Holy, holy, holy. What are they doing with the other two? They're covering their feet. Nothing unclean. Feet were unclean in the Old Testament. Nothing unclean can be in their presence. And the other two, they're, they're covering their face. God is so holy, they can't even look at God. Remember Moses said this too when he was on the mountain. He said, can I look, can I see your face? He said, nobody can see me and live. I'll put you in the cleft of a rock and let my, my, my after pass. You can see that, but you can't see me and live. And so there's a separation here. We don't have to be a rocket science. You, all you have to know is that we're sinful and God is holy. So how do we, how does sinful man be in relationship with this God? Jesus is how? See, this is the good news of the gospel. See, the good news of the gospel first has to be presented with the bad news that we're disconnected from the Lord. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ connects us to God. And so we stand before God purely based on his righteousness. It's called substitutionary atonement. He died in your place. So what we see on the cross really should be us. That should be us. Here's, the, here's the, the, the scary part about the gospel. Those that don't trust Jesus, that will be us. But those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That's why the, the most famous picture of Jesus is the one with him on the cross. That will be us. But the beauty in the gospel is that when he hung on that cross, your sin held on that cross. Past 
present and future. Colossians 2, our sins were nailed on the cross. And so that's the good news in the gospel. We now get to stand before God as though we lived perfectly and we didn't. But that's the good news of the gospel. So when Paul says, I pray for an open door to declare the mysteries of Christ, Paul's mystery of Christ is sharing the gospel. Notice when he gets this open door, he does not walk in and share his personal testimony. Now, I'm not saying your testimony is not legit. Share your testimony if it's if it's a great testimony. But if see evangelism, if you share the if you share your testimony and don't share the gospel, you didn't evangelize. You just told them your story. The gospel message is the power of God for salvation. Romans six. Can you imagine like what if Romans six said that your testimony is the power of God to salvation? Then I would say share your testimony. Please share your testimony if you need to, but you've got to get to the gospel. Paul sees an open door. He prays for an open door, and he says, I want the open door to declare the mystery of Christ. I don't pray for this open door to declare my own situation. Like, Paul's situation was dope, though, right? Like, he, he gets knocked off a horse. The Lord speaks. Like, first of all, if, the, if I'm knocked off a horse and the Lord speaks to me, like, you're going you're gonna to have to check me with humility. Because I'm going to be like, yo, I talk to Jesus. Like, who are you? You said what? No, 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 no. I talked to Jesus. Go sit down somewhere. Like, that's how I'm going to act. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul sees an open door, prays for open door, shares the message of Jesus Christ. It's so important. When you look at, and I don't know why I'm going through all of these, these verses. When you look at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, when Ethiopian eunuch, when Philip evangelized him, verse 35 says he opened his mouth beginning with the scriptures, talks about Jesus. He shared the gospel with him. So here's the thing about open doors, and you may pray for them. If you pray for open doors, it's a hard prayer because you're going to get the open door. You're going to get the open door. The question is, what do you do when you get the open door? Many of us have let opportunities pass us by. Paul talks about it in the rest of the verse where he talks about uh, uh, redeeming the time or making best use of the time. What do we do when we get open doors? How have you, many of us in this room have not shared, it's, it, what, what month are we in? We're in April. We haven't shared the gospel all year long. Like, think in your mind, don't answer it, but who in your life, in your world, that you've shared the gospel with? And let's be honest, we know we're around non-believers. We know some of our family members don't know Jesus. But instead of sharing the gospel, I want to have a good Christmas or I want to have a good Thanksgiving. I don't want tension and that'll bring up argument. So I'm not going to share the gospel. So we will rather do that and let them go to hell instead of sharing the gospel. I'm not afraid to say that because that's the Bible says that the wrath remains if they don't know Jesus. And so we see opportunities. And what do we do with opportunities? What have we done with them? Let's keep going. He says that I verse number four, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now, he moves from, from talking to now walking, which is important. Look at what he says in verse number five. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to speak and how, how you ought to answer each person. Verse number five, walk in wisdom towards outsider. Notice that this call that Paul makes is not a call to a select few within the Colossian church. 
When he says walk in wisdom to outsiders, he's talking to the whole church. Remember last week when we when we went through husbands and wives and we went through bond servants and and masters and we went through children and parents. All of them would have been present when this letter was read. When Epaphras brings this letter to the Colossian church, all of them would have been present. And so when Paul makes this this call to them to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, that doesn't say half the room should walk in wisdom. The rest of you do whatever you want. Every single one of us must walk in wisdom. One of the easiest ways to see if you're walking in wisdom with an outsider is, is how do I know many of us don't drive. But how do you react when somebody cuts you off? Come on, let's be honest. I've been in a call with, with my, my wife has the worst road rage I've ever seen. How do we react when, we, when somebody, I put you on blast today. How do we react when somebody, when somebody says something slick to us? What, how do we react to that? What, what wisdom do we use in order to walk in, um, to walk in wisdom with outsiders? So Paul, Paul deals with it this morning. He says, man, don't, don't look at those opportunities as, uh, as areas that I should, maybe I should walk in wisdom, maybe I shouldn't. This person has done me wrong. I really shouldn't know every single opportunity. Why? Because you never know when an opportunity like that will arise again. Some of us are, I mean, somebody is depending on you walking in wisdom towards that outsider. When we walk the streets today and start to pray, maybe somebody will come up that is, has been pleading for somebody to share the gospel with them. They don't know they're pleading for that, but maybe they're yearning that empty feeling that people have. We need to walk in wisdom towards them. Why? Because there could be an opportunity for us to share the gospel. So Paul deals with it. He says uh, in the scripture, it talks about let us make sense when it talks about you making the best use of time it's really not talking time in the sense of hours it's talking time in the sense of opportunity the original the original language that's what is so the verse really could read make use of the best opportunity that is before you can we be honest how many of us if we're honest have failed in opportunities and my, my hand is raised what are some of the reasons we fail we fail maybe it's because we we have fear that they'll look at us different Maybe some of it is, well, I don't know if I really, I understand the gospel, but I don't know if I really can explain the gospel. You know, these are reasons why we don't walk in wisdom towards outsiders. So Paul does what he, he says, your talk is important, but your walk is just as important. Now, here's the thing about it. The, The early church, how did they attract people to the church without a marketing plan? They don't have buildings. They don't have a budget for marketing. They don't have billboards. They don't have a a sign outside of a location that says uh, Pauline Baptist Church. They don't have any of that. They don't have flyers. They don't have social media. They don't have websites. How do you market Christianity before before our era, before this time, how do you market it? You market, you market it by a life. So how do you get the word out? You get the word in. In you, and once you go out, you live it. That was the only credible way to market Christianity. And I would argue it's still the only credible way to market Christianity. And so, yeah, let's do social media. Yeah, let's do websites. Yeah, let's do that stuff. But if all we're leaning on is that, then we're missing the mark. 
Your talk is important, but if you ever heard actions speak louder than words. So if your marketing is, is I'm just going to talk a bunch, but I'm not going to actually live this thing, man, it's not credible for people. Sorry, spit zone right here. It's, it's not credible for people. People want to know that you, you will back up what you say by how you walk, by your lifestyle. People need to see it. People need to sense it. People need to feel it. They need to see your life and say, man, I want to be like that person. I don't know what it is about that person. And then you get an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Many of us have missed opportunities. I pray that today, as we close our time today, when we think about how we talk and how we walk, I pray that our hearts would be ripped if we're not doing this according to what Paul is saying. We're not making best of every single opportunity. Pray for that. Do we pray for open doors for the word of God? Pray for that. Is our, is our, do we still have a deep southern accent? Or do we come now to another culture and adapt to it, the culture of Christianity? Pray for that. Let's pray. Lord, today I am, I'm amazed at how practical your word is. Your word gives us clear instructions on how to live. You, you've told us in your word today that we should make the best use of every single opportunity. Many of us haven't done it. We're confessing it to you today. You said if we confess to you that you'll forgive us and you'll purify us from all unrighteousness. Today we pray for making the best use of opportunities. Many of our conversations at work, we can't get to the gospel because we're known as the gossiper. We can't get to the message of Jesus Christ because we're known as the person that will bring the juicy story. Forgive us today. Convict us this, this afternoon. Let us not walk out of here and be the same, but impact how we walk, impact how we talk. Those that may be in here and don't know Jesus, Father, we pray today for a real experience. I'm not talking that, let me just repeat this prayer. I'm talking a real, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Would you do that today? And then when we trusted you, I pray that you would impact our walk and impact how we talk. Those that may be believers in here that are honest, that they haven't lived up to what Paul is telling us this morning, would you, would you convict all of us in this room and, and help us to run out of here and try to make, you, make good of every single opportunity? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.